Well, good evening, Hope. So glad that each one of you are here. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And that is just a, a snippet, just a three-minute snippet. And you can find those uh, on YouTube. It's called Three Minute Theology. And some of them are fascinating. And it's a really good way to get a lot of good information that condenses it into three minutes. And, and what it helps tonight is it helps to frame our discussion. It helps to frame what we're going to talk about as we continue on in this series that we've been doing. We're in week five. We're halfway through uh, this series we're doing called Here We Stand. And what we're doing is we're starting to soak ourselves and sink ourselves and to immerse ourselves into the truth and to the reality of, of who God is and how God sees us and how God views us. Spent a couple weeks, the last two weeks leading up to tonight, we talked about the Ten Commandments, about God's design and God's boundaries and, and God's intentions for us in our lives, which gives a great template for us on, on how to live. But tonight we're going to flip the page and we're going to start to talk about not just what do we know about God and how do we follow God, but we start to ask this question, which I think a lot of us, Struggle, not because we don't know, but because it's so hard to articulate. It, the question is, 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 who is God? If I were to ask you that question, who is God, how, how would you answer? Somebody who has been dropped here, who has never been a part of, of anything at all, that is somehow just uh, put here on, on, on planet Earth and finds themselves in West Des Moines, Iowa, and, and they come up and they've never, they've never, they've been sheltered their whole life and they've never heard about the fact that there is a God or there could be a God or they don't even know what the word God would absolutely uh, possibly mean. And if you were to be asked to say to this person, describe to them who God is, how would you respond? It's, it's a lot more complex than sometimes we give it credit to for. This weekend, uh, last night at our 5 p.m. service and this morning during our 9.15 and our 11 o'clock service, uh, I was asked to do a Q&A with all of our fourth and fifth grade Hope Kids students. So last week as they, uh, as they met, they were able to write any question that they had very similar to what we did as a church not too many months ago. So they wrote all their questions down. They did that last week. And uh, one of our Hope Kids staff members gave me the questions this past week. And so not like we did it in worship. Actually, this time we had, I had a chance to, to, to prepare what I was actually going to say, which was really helpful. And it made me feel a lot safer and a lot more comfortable. But it was fascinating. It was fascinating to see what kids who are 8, 9, and 10 years old, to, to hear and to, to see what the questions they have. Not just about faith, but about life. And one of the things that was, was striking to me was, was how similar how incredibly and eerily similar the questions that those children had to what we have. We're asking the same question. And I would say almost half of the questions that those students asked, who is God? Where is God? How do I know God? How do I know if God is real? 
It's a really important question. Not an important question because if we aren't able to give the answer, then somehow God's going to be angry with us. That, that isn't going to happen. God isn't angry with you, no matter how much or how little you know about God. That case has been settled, and it's been settled that God is for you, and that, that doesn't change. But the reason it's so important is it helps us to understand ourselves. It's what, it's what Karen read for us in the, the scripture reading just a few minutes ago, where Paul is writing to the people in Ephesus. He's reminding them of, of who they are and who they're called to be and how their lives are, are, are changed because of the reality and the, the truth of who God is. But as we know God, we know that, we, as we saw in the video, that God is not just God. God is fuller than just God, that we encounter God in, in three ways. We encounter God in God the Father, God the Creator, God the Son and Jesus Christ and God the Spirit and the Holy Spirit. And that sometimes tends to kind of muddy the water a little bit. So I, I, I don't understand. I mean, what is this Trinity, what does it mean? And there's a lot of images and a lot of analogies and a lot of metaphors that people will use. If you go back to the last slide, a lot of things that people will use to try to understand, to put our terms on how to describe and articulate how the three persons of God relate to one another. Some people, how many, I'm not going to ask. A lot of people have read the book The Shack, seen the movie, it just came out. The Shack is a phenomenal book, and it's a phenomenal movie. But we treat it as scripture, not nonfiction. It's nonfiction. It's a metaphor. It's an analogy. It's an attempt at how a man who has encountered an incredible loss in his life experiences the fullness of God. Other people will say, well, the Trinity is, is like an apple. You have the skin and you have the, 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 the fibrous part of the, the apple and you have the seed. And so they're all parts of the apple, but they all take different forms. Or we say it's like an egg. There's a shell. There's a yolk. There's an egg white. Or, or the Trinity, God is like, he's like water where you encounter him in an ice and you encounter him in, 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 in liquid and you encounter him in vapor. All of those analogies help us to understand how maybe we would articulate how three gods could be encountered in, in one person or one person could be encountered in three ways. But the thing is, is they, they all fall short. And that's what Luther is trying to help us with in, in the small catechism. It's not something to memorize. It's not something to punish us in order to sit through a class helping us to ex experience God. Because all of these analogies and all of these metaphors, they're wonderful, that God is like this and the Trinity can be like that, but all of them have kind of dangerous ditches to them. One is we can go to a place, and these aren't important words at all, but it helps us to understand how we can sometimes misidentify who God is. We'll go to a place that's called modalism. And modalism is one person that appears in different forms or modes. It's the ice analogy. 
that God appears in different modes at different times. Or we go to subordinationism. And this is that the, that the Son and the Spirit are lesser than God, which is often the way we talk about it. That we have God who stands outside and, and at the beginning of time. And because of God, then we have Jesus and the Holy Spirit that kind of take a back seat to God, which is not correct. Or we have something that's called tritheism, which is a denial. It, it, it states that there isn't just one God, but that there are actually three gods. That there is a God the Spirit, God the Son, and God the Father, God the Creator. Which none of those are correct. And when we encounter God that way, we can sometimes separate God. So what is the Trinity? And how does that help us understand? The Trinity in and of itself is a mystery, an incredible mystery. The word Trinity itself comes from two words. The word tri, which means three. The word unity, which means one. So by definition, it's confusing. It doesn't make sense. How can three be one and how could one be three? But what we see is this reality that God appears to us in three ways, is made known in three ways. We have God the Father, God the Creator, and that's God. And God is this. We have God the Son in Jesus Christ, and God is that. And we have God as Holy Spirit. The Bible testifies to all three of those, and we'll get into that. And God is that. But here's the crazy thing. Is that the Holy Spirit, it's not the Father. And Jesus Christ is not the Holy Spirit. Nor is the Father the Son. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, Here, listen, open your ears, Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one, or the Lord is alone. We have one God. We have one God who, who is known in the three persons that are indivisible by their substance. As you saw in the video, when we pray, we pray to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see a God who has existed in all time throughout all of our our history on earth that has been made known as the three. So Genesis chapter 1 is in the beginning that God created the heavens and the earth. And the spirit of God, the, God, uh, the spirit of God hovered over the, the surface of, of the deep. That the spirit was there even at the beginning. In John chapter 1 it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. 
that we have a God that has existed in these three. It's called the beautiful dance. And all of them don't help us just to know about God. This is wonderful. But what they do is they help us to experience God, which is way more important. The Apostles' Creed that we just stated together at the beginning of worship. The word creed literally means believe or belief. It's our statement of what we believe. And it's a way that, 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 that people have been able to articulate what is it that we believe and why does that matter? The very first article of the Apostles' Creed it says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Luther's explanation of the first article, it's called, of the Apostles' Creed is very helpful in this sense. That Luther helps us to understand that, that as Father, as Creator, that I believe that God has created me and all that exists. That God has created. God is a Creator. You stand in the night sky and you look at the beauty of creation. You can't help but to beg the question, have the question begged of you of who put this all in place? It's King David who was a man that was chosen by God because he was a man after God's own heart. King David himself, a man who, who knew so much, who had encountered incredible victories and incredible uh, things in his life, writes these words in Psalm 8. He says, Oh Lord my God, how majestic is your name. I look at the sun and the moon and the stars and all that you've created and I, I start to wonder, who am I that you would even think about me? That you would even know me? That the work of your hands is so awe-inspiring that I'm brought to my knees by the glory and the power of of who you are. We see that in the beauty of creation, but we also see that in the beauty of, of human being. I mean, the fact that we exist, the fact that our bodies have been put together the way that they've been put together, and that we're able to survive on this planet that we have found ourselves. Do, do you ever take the opportunity to step back and understand and realize what a miracle that truly is? It shouldn't happen. If the earth was shifted just one degree in either side, we could not have life that would be able to be sustained on our planet. But somehow... Somehow, in some way, God has put this whole thing together because he's a good God who's a good creator. People say, well, but Jeremy, that's the problem. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to take religion and explain science. No, I'm not. I'm not trying to do that at all. With all due respect. So often we try to distance faith and science and think that those two disciplines cannot exist in the same world. But did you know where higher education got its start? The existence of higher education is here because there were 
people who were studying God and studying the world that God had created and the marvelous creation that humanity was and to know and to understand more about God, they began to study the science of the world. And as the more, the more that they would discover, the more in awe they would be of God. It's because sometimes we look at one discipline and we ask it the wrong questions. Science does an amazing job, a phenomenal job at answering the question what and how. But faith? Faith answers the question of who and why. Science can't answer that question. And faith doesn't attempt to answer the other. And when we start to ask the right questions, we can start to see God's fingerprints all over the place. See the beauty of this God that we have that we know in Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is the more that we get to know about God, the more we get to know about his heart. Did you hear what he said? That his study of God led him to the reality of the power of, of Jesus Christ. Luther says this about Jesus Christ in his explanation of the second article. He says, I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father in eternity, and also a true human being, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. He's the one who is in control. He has redeemed me, a lost and condemned human being. He has purchased me and freed me from all my sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy and precious blood and his innocent and his suffering, innocent suffering and death. He has done this so that I might belong to him. See, I think sometimes we can have an understanding of God that there's a God who created the whole thing, who got the whole thing going, who is marvelous and who is majestic and we can see his grandeur and all that we experience in creation, but we forget that God isn't just grand, but God is so incredibly personal that he's entered into our lives in such a way to set us free. That God loved the world so much, the Bible says, that he entered in and he gave his one and only son so that anybody who believes in him, anybody who would put their faith and their trust in him would not perish but would have eternal life. They would be redeemed. That the love that comes to us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, it sets you free. Not so that you would just know about God, so that you would experience the power of God. The power of God that has the ability to transform a person's heart and to transform their life and to give them the assurance that they would know that they would know how desperately God loves them. Do you know how desperately God loves you? I remember when I was about 24 years old, I remember it was at the beginning of the day, one of the most difficult days of my life because I had never felt so lost in, in all of my memory. And I thought to myself, what on earth do I have to live for? I mean, from the outside looking in, everything was going so wonderfully. But on the inside, I felt empty. On the inside, I felt like I had fallen short on everything that I had ever hoped for in my life. 
And I remember that, that evening we had a service at the church that I grew up at and I thought, I don't know why I'm gonna go, but I'm gonna go. So I went and I remember I walked through the south doors of that church building and they were those electric motion sensor doors. So I walked in, I can still remember the sound of the doors as they closed behind me. Because even though I had grown up there, because of the way I was feeling inside, I didn't know if I'd be welcome there. Because everybody would know how weak my faith was. Everybody would know how deep my doubts were. And if they didn't, most certainly God would. I remember I was walking down the hallway and one of the pastors that was on the staff of our church, he I had known him since I was about seven years old and he saw me and I had my hat pulled down low and I just wanted to go to worship and he called out my name and said, Jeremy! And I put my head down and I tried to skirt around him because the hallway was busy but that wasn't the way he rolled. He didn't do that. So he called my name out again. I didn't acknowledge him and so then he checked me into a brick wall. It's the loving pastor he was. He's from Montana so he didn't know any better. And by this time, I was so stuck in myself that I looked at him and I had tears in my eyes and he said, Jeremy, we need to go in my office and talk. I said, Chuck, I don't want to talk to you right now. No offense. So no, we need to go and talk. I said, no, Chuck, I don't want to talk. But Chuck, all I need to know is am I forgiven? Could God love me? Because I knew I knew what was called and asked for to, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to be a follower of God. And as I did the mental math and the mental calculations in my mind, I didn't measure up on any of them. And I wondered if this God could love somebody who was like me. I'll never forget what Chuck said. He said, if he doesn't forgive you, he doesn't forgive anybody. Because that's why he came into the world. So that you'd be set free. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 8. If you ever need a chapter in the Bible to go to, write down Romans chapter 8. It's the go-to chapter in Scripture. It's incredible. If you're ever at a place where you're wondering if you've totally gotten to your end, go to Romans chapter 8. There's so much life in it. And Paul says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? There's no condemnation. You've been forgiven. You've been redeemed by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. It has freed you. You've been set free by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but the power of his life-giving spirit. You see, it's not just God the Father, God the Creator, and God the Son in Jesus Christ, but it's also this Holy Spirit that we read about in Acts chapter 2 that is given to all who believe on the day of Pentecost, who gives them the, the breath of life into their lungs that makes them from being a human to a human being. 
makes them come alive. It's the power of the Spirit that is God's presence with us today that lives inside you, that lives inside of you. Genesis chapter 1, it talks about that the Spirit was there at creation, but then we go to Genesis chapter 2, and it talks about how, how God created the first human being, but God had created the first human being, but there was no life in him, and God took that human and took the human and breathed the breath of life into his lungs, and he came alive for the first time. That's what God offers to you tonight. The Holy Spirit would call you and enlighten you and, and that you would know how much that, that Spirit makes you holy and it keeps you in the faith. Did you know that? I mean, you see, this is the power of what we encounter when we encounter the fullness of who God is, that we have a God who creates, who is a good father. We have a God who sent his son into the world, who is fully God, and a God who gives us his spirit so that he would live inside of us and would, would keep us and awaken us to, to who we truly are. Luther said it this way in his explanation in the large catechism. He says, for in all three articles, God himself has revealed and opened to us the most profound depths of his fatherly heart and his pure, unutterable love. It's the beginning of the scripture reading that was read just a short time ago. Did you catch it? first word that was read in Ephesians chapter 4 was the word therefore. I love that word. You know what I'm going to say. Anytime you read therefore in scripture, you got to ask yourself the question, what's the therefore therefore? It's there for a reason. So we go back to Ephesians chapter 3 where Paul a man who by all accounts had been living a life that was leading him to death had been made alive through the power of Jesus Christ and the power of his spirit that the God who had created Paul had also redeemed him and set him free and had given him his spirit. And so Paul writes, he says, when I think about all of this, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, when I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And I pray that from his glorious and his unlimited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. And your roots will grow down into God's love and will keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand don't miss this part because this is what has led to Paul talking about the power of, of who God is. This is the reality that all of us have the opportunity to receive in our own lives. That there is a God who we can come to know and how he expresses himself and how he makes himself known in our lives. And Paul says, may you have the power that 
all God's people should to understand how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love truly is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. And then you may be able to be made complete with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. From the God who is one and three and three and one. Paul says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we could ever ask or think. It just keeps getting better. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, Paul says, therefore, because of that, because of the radical love that God has for you, because of that, I plead with you to live your lives in such a way that you would come to know and to come to understand and come to be in a relationship with this God. Because when you know this God and when you experience this God, you will know who he's created you to be. Because there is one Lord and there's one faith and one baptism and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. Whatever brought you here tonight, God is with you, is making himself known to you, to his creation, through the fact that he is a good father who has good gifts and desperately wants to be in a relationship with you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to redeem you, to set you free, to get you back on the right path and to give you his spirit that nothing in all creation can ever separate you from. Nothing ever can separate you from the love of God, the love of God that comes through Christ Jesus our Lord. He's a good God who's a good Father, who's a perfect Father, who's come to love us.